Section 43 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Carpenter. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D section forty two appendix three part two but the legislative power of the parliament was a mere fallacy while the sovereign was universally acknowledged to possess a dispensing power by which all the laws could be invalidated and rendered of no effect the exercise of this power was also an indirect method practised for erecting monopolies where the statutes laid any branch of manufacture under restrictions, the sovereign, by exempting one person from the laws, gave him, in effect, the monopoly of that commodity. There was no grievance, at that time, more universally complained of than the frequent dispensing with the penal laws. But in reality, the crown possessed the full legislative power by means of proclamations which might affect any matter even of the greatest importance, and which the Star Chamber took care to see more rigorously executed than the laws themselves. The motives for these proclamations were sometimes frivolous and even ridiculous. Queen Elizabeth had taken offence at the smell of woad, and she issued an edict prohibiting any one from cultivating that useful plant. She was also pleased to take offence at the long swords and high ruffs then in fashion she sent about her officers to break every man's sword and clip every man's ruff which was beyond a certain dimension this practice resembles the method employed by the great czar peter to make his subjects change their garb the queen's prohibition of the prophesying or the assemblies instituted for fanatical prayers and conferences was founded on a better reason but shows still the unlimited extent of her prerogative any number of persons could not meet together in order to read the scriptures and confer about religion though in ever so orthodox a manner without her permission there were many other branches of prerogative incompatible with an exact and regular enjoyment of liberty none of the nobility could marry without permission from the sovereign the queen detained the earl of southampton long in prison because he privately married the earl of essex's cousin no man could travel without the consent of the prince sir william evers underwent a severe persecution because he had presumed to pay a private visit to the king of scots the sovereign even assumed a supreme and uncontrolled authority over all foreign trade and neither allowed any person to enter or depart the kingdom nor any commodity to be imported or exported without his consent the parliament in the thirteenth of the queen praised her for not imitating the practice usual among her predecessors of stopping the course of justice by particular warrants there could not possibly be a greater abuse nor a stronger mark of arbitrary power and the queen in refraining from it was very laudable but she was by no means constant in this reserve 
there remain in the public records some warrants of hers for exempting particular persons from all lawsuits and prosecutions if in these warrants she says she grants from her royal prerogative which she will not allow to be disputed it was very usual in queen elizabeth's reign and probably in all the preceding reigns for noblemen or privy councillors to commit to prison any one who had happened to displease them by suing for his just debts and the unhappy person though he gained his cause in the courts of justice was commonly obliged to relinquish his property in order to obtain his liberty some likewise who had been delivered from prison by the judges were again committed to custody in secret places without any possibility of obtaining relief and even the officers and the sergeants of the courts of law were punished for executing the writs in favour of these persons nay it was usual to send for people by pursuivants a kind of harpies who then attended the orders of the council and high commission and they were brought up to london and constrained by imprisonment not only to withdraw their lawful suits but also to pay the pursuivants great sums of money the judges in the thirty-fourth of the queen complained to her majesty of the frequency of this practice it is probable that so egregious a tyranny was carried no farther down than the reign of elizabeth since the parliament who presented the petition of right found no later instances of it and even these very judges of elizabeth who thus protect the people against the tyranny of the great expressly allow that a person committed by special command of the queen is not bailable it is easy to imagine that in such a government no justice could by course of law be obtained of the sovereign unless he were willing to allow it in the naval expedition undertaken by raleigh and frobisher against the spaniards in the year fifteen ninety two a very rich carrack was taken worth two hundred thousand pounds the queen's share in the great adventure was only a tenth but as the prize was so great and exceeded so much the expectation of all the adventurers she was determined not to rest contented with her share raleigh humbly and earnestly begged her to accept of a hundred thousand pounds in lieu of all her demands or rather extortions and says that the present which the proprietors were willing to make her of eighty thousand pounds was the greatest that ever prince received from a subject but it is no wonder the queen in her administration should pay so little regard to liberty while the parliament itself in enacting laws was entirely negligent of it the persecuting statutes which they passed against papists and puritans are extremely contrary to the genius of freedom and by exposing such multitudes to the tyranny of priests and bigots accustomed the people to the most disgraceful subjection their conferring an unlimited supremacy on the queen or what is worse acknowledgment of her inherent right to it was another proof of their voluntary servitude the law of the twenty-third of her reign making seditious words against the queen capital is also a very tyrannical statute and a use no less tyrannical was sometimes made of it the case of udall a puritanical clergyman seems singular even in those arbitrary times this man had published a book called a demonstration of discipline 
in which he inveighed against the government of bishops and though he had carefully endeavoured to conceal his name he was thrown into prison upon the suspicion and brought to trial for this offence it was pretended that the bishops were part of the queen's political body and to speak against them was really to attack her and was therefore felony by the statute this was not the only inequity to which udall was exposed the judges would not allow the jury to determine anything but the fact whether udall had written the book or not without examining his intention or the import of the words in order to prove the fact the crown lawyers did not produce a single witness to the court they only read the testimony of two persons absent one of whom said that udall had told him he was the author another that a friend of udall's had said so they would not allow udall to produce any exculpatory evidence which they said was never to be permitted against the crown and they tendered him an oath by which he was required to depose that he was not the author of the book and his refusal to make that deposition was employed as the strongest proof of his guilt it was almost needless to add that notwithstanding these multiplied inequities a verdict of death was given by the jury against udall for as the queen was extremely bent upon his prosecution it was impossible he could escape he died in prison before execution of the sentence the case of penry was if possible still harder this man was a zealous puritan or rather a brownist a small sect which afterwards increased and received the name of independence he had written against the hierarchy several tracts such as martin marprelate thesis martinier and other compositions full of low scurrility and petulant satire after concealing himself for some years he was seized and as the statute against seditious words required that the criminal should be tried within a year after committing the offence he could not be indicted for his printed books he was therefore tried for some papers found in his pocket as if he had thereby scattered sedition it was also imputed to him by the lord keeper puckering that in some of these papers he had only acknowledged her majesty's royal power to establish laws ecclesiastical and civil but had avoided the usual terms of making enacting decreeing and ordaining laws which imply says the lord keeper a most absolute authority penry for these offences was condemned and executed thus we have seen that the most absolute authority of the sovereign to make use of the lord's keeper's expression was established on above twenty branches of prerogative which are now abolished and which were every one of them totally incompatible with the liberty of the subject but what ensured more effectually the slavery of the people than even these branches of prerogative was the established principles of the time which attributed to the prince such an unlimited and indefeasible power as was supposed to be the origin of all law and could be circumscribed by none the homilies published for the use of the clergy and which they were enjoined to read every sunday in all the churches inculcate everywhere a blind and unlimited passive obedience to the prince which on no account 
and under no pretense is it ever lawful for subjects in the smallest article to depart from or infringe much noise has been made because some court chaplains during the succeeding reigns were permitted to preach such doctrines but there is a great difference between these sermons and discourses published by authority avowed by the prince and council and promulgated to the whole nation so thoroughly were these principles imbibed by the people during the reigns of elizabeth and her predecessors that opposition to them was regarded as the most flagrant sedition and was not even rewarded by the public praise and approbation which can alone support men under such dangers and difficulties as attend the resistance to tyrannical authority it was only during the next generation that the noble principles of liberty took root and spreading themselves under the shelter of puritanical absurdities became fashionable among the people it is worth remarking that the advantage usually ascribed to absolute monarchy a greater regularity of police and a more strict execution of the laws did not attend the former english government though in many respects it fell under that denomination a demonstration of this truth is contained in a judicious paper which is preserved by stripe and which was written by an eminent justice of the peace of somersetshire in the year fifteen ninety six near the end of the queen's reign when the authority of that prince may be supposed to be fully corroborated by time and her maxims of government improved by long practice this paper contains an account of the disorders which then prevailed in the county of somerset the author says that forty persons had there been executed in a year for robberies theft and other felonies thirty-five burnt in the hand thirty-seven whipped one hundred and eighty-three discharged that those who were discharged were most wicked and desperate persons who never could come to any good because they would not work and none would take them into service that notwithstanding this great number of indictments the fifth part of the felonies committed in the country were not brought to trial the greater number escaped censure either from the superior cunning of the felons the remissness of the magistrates or the foolish lenity of the people that the rapines committed by the infinite number of wicked wandering idle people were intolerable to the poor countrymen and obliged them to keep a perpetual watch over their sheepfolds their pastures their woods and their cornfields that the other counties of england were in no better condition than somersetshire and many of them were even worse that there were at least three or four hundred able-bodied vagabonds in every county who lived by theft and rapine and who sometimes met in troops to the number of sixty and committed spoil on the inhabitants that if all the felons of this kind were assembled they would be able if reduced to good subjection to give the greatest enemy her majesty has a strong battle and that the magistrates themselves were intimidated from executing the laws upon them and there were instances of justices of the peace who after giving sentences against rogues had interposed to stop the execution of their own sentence on account of the danger which hung over them from the confederates of these felons in the year fifteen seventy five the queen complained in parliament of the bad execution of the laws 
and threatened that if the magistrates were not for the future more vigilant she would entrust authority to indigent and needy persons who would find an interest in a more exact administration of justice it appears that she was as good as her word for in the year sixteen o one there were great complaints made in parliament for the rapine of justices of the peace and a member said that this magistrate was an animal who for half a dozen of chickens would dispense with a dozen of penal statutes it is not easy to account for this relaxation of government and neglect of police during a reign of so much vigour as that of elizabeth the small revenue of the crown is the most likely cause that can be assigned the queen had it not in her power to interest a great number in assisting her to execute the laws on the whole the english have no reason from the example of their ancestors to be in love with the picture of absolute monarchy or to prefer the unlimited authority of the prince and his unbounded prerogatives to that noble liberty that sweet equality and that happy security by which they are at present distinguished above all nations in the universe the utmost that can be said in favour of the government of that age and perhaps it may be said with truth is that the power of the prince though really unlimited was exercised after the european manner and entered not into every part of the administration that the instances of a high exerted prerogative were not so frequent as to render property sensibly insecure or reduce the people to a total servitude that the freedom from faction the quickness of execution and the promptitude of those measures which could be taken for offence or defence made some compensation for the want of a legal and determinate liberty that as the prince commanded no mercenary army there was a tacit check on him which maintained that the government in that medium to which the people had been accustomed and that this situation of england though seemingly it approached nearer was in reality more remote from a despotic and eastern monarchy than the present government of that kingdom where the people though guarded by multiplied laws are totally naked defenceless and disarmed and besides are not secured by any middle power or independent powerful nobility interposed between them and the monarch we shall close the present appendix with a brief account of the revenues the military force the commerce and the arts and the learning of england during this period queen elizabeth's economy was remarkable and in some instances seemed to border on avarice the smallest expense if it could possibly be spared appeared considerable in her eyes and even the charge of an express during the most delicate transactions was not below her notice she was also attentive to every profit and embraced opportunities of gain which may appear somewhat extraordinary she kept for instance the see of ely vacant nineteen years in order to retain the revenue and it was usual with her when she promoted a bishop to take the opportunity of pillaging the see of some of its manners but that in reality there was little of no avarice in the queen's temper appears from this circumstance that she never amassed any treasure and even refused subsidies from the parliament when she had no present occasion for them 
yet we must not conclude from this circumstance that her economy proceeded from a tender concern for her people she loaded them with monopolies and exclusive patents which are much more oppressive than the most heavy taxes levied in an equal and regular manner the real source of her frugal conduct was derived from her desire of independency and her care to preserve her dignity which would have been endangered had she reduced herself to the necessity of having frequent recourse to parliamentary supplies in consequence of this motive the queen though engaged in successful and necessary wars thought it more prudent to make a continual dilapidation of the royal domains than demand the most moderate supplies from the commons as she lived unmarried and had no posterity she was content to serve her present turn though at the expense of her successors who by reason of this policy joined to other circumstances found themselves on a sudden reduced to the most extreme indigence the splendor of a court was during this age a great part of the public charge and as elizabeth was a single woman and expensive in no kind of magnificence except clothes this circumstance enabled her to perform great things by her narrow revenue she is said to have paid four millions of debt left on her crown by her father brother and sister and an incredible sum for that age the states at the time of her death owed her about eight hundred thousand pounds and the king of france four hundred and fifty thousand though that prince was extremely frugal and after the peace of vervin was continually amassing treasure the queen never could by the most pressing importunities prevail on him to make payment of those sums which she had so generously advanced him during his greatest distresses one payment of twenty thousand crowns and another of fifty thousand were all that she could obtain by the strongest representations she could make of the difficulties to which the rebellion in ireland had reduced her the queen expended on the wars with spain between the years fifteen eighty nine and fifteen ninety three the sum of one million three hundred thousand pounds besides the pittance of a double subsidy amounting to two hundred and eighty thousand pounds granted to her by parliament in the year fifteen ninety nine she spent six hundred thousand pounds in six months on the service of ireland sir robert cecil affirmed that in ten years ireland cost her three millions four hundred thousand pounds she gave the earl of essex a present of thirty thousand pounds upon his departure for the government of that kingdom lord burleigh computed that the value of the gifts conferred on that favorite amounted to three hundred thousand pounds a sum which though probably exaggerated is a proof of her strong affection towards him it was a common saying during the reign the queen pays bountifully though she rewards sparingly end of section forty three appendix three part two recording by richard carpenter in seattle washington